Welcome to the A Sound Effect Podcast, the podcast about sound effects. My name is Aspian Anderson and I'm the founder of asoundeffect.com. Hey, Jennifer Walden here for A Sound Effect. Joining me is Jason Cushing, co-founder of Soundmorph, a leading creator of state-of-the-art sound libraries and software with a focus on computer-based audio production for sound designers and musicians. We'll be talking about what's new at Soundmorph, what goes into the creation of their software and libraries, and how AI and machine learning are changing the sound industry for software companies like Soundmorph and for sound designers and other sound creators. We'll also talk about the process of creating and being creative and what impact AI will have on creativity. We talk about Jason's creative pursuits at Soundmorph, particularly the creation of the making of videos, a show what go into creating their sound libraries and tutorial videos for getting to know the layout and capabilities of their software and plugins. Hey, Jason, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So can you tell me a bit about Soundmorph and also your role there? Sure thing. I am one of two co-founders and I founded it with Jan Davids, my partner, and we make sound libraries and sound software for everyone in the media industry, pretty much games, film, TV, uh, you name it. We have a team of sound recordists and designers and I have sort of a right-hand man, Andrew Pals, uh, works with me uh, a lot. He's a field recordist, sound designer, and helps with our software ideas, and presets, and testing. And he's a great friend. And so I run the day-to-day operations and management. Um, longtime uh, sound designer for Soundmorph and for side game companies as well. I'm sort of the creative director of sorts for all of our product releases. So everything from the artwork look uh, to how the site operates. I do have a lot of help with that stuff, but I'm usually leading it. And I work with our web development team to keep the site modern, relevant, secure, and hopefully always working properly. So yeah, I I wear a lot of hats. Yeah, indeed. Uh, What about the graphic user interface? Is that something that you help design, like the look of that? Yeah, I don't necessarily make all of the UI assets and stuff, but... I'm pretty vocal about what it's going to look like and how it's going to feel as far as the visuals for the software go. Usually Jan is the programmer, so he will work with that. And then we have an artist that also helps us make some of that stuff. So I'm pretty involved in a lot of things that I don't know how to do (laughs) myself, but it's fun to do it that way. So as a sound designer yourself and having experience with other plugins, like, you know, what's going to excite users and make them want to interact with your software, you know, like, ooh, that's a big knob and I want to turn that or, you know, ooh, that's a big red button and I want to push that. Yeah, totally. For Jan and I, I think our philosophy is to offer software that's really inspiring, creative and easy to understand what it does. Sometimes understanding what it does is a slight learning curve, and sometimes it's just simple. We try to combine a simple software plugin with some complex options. That's tended to be our way of going about it. So it invites you to play with it. Like some software is just too complex, confusing, or isn't really all that fun to use. So we try not to be that. Right. What it sounds like is the most important thing, and how you use it to make that sound is equally as important. So like the user interface, of course, it is easy to have eye candy software where the visuals are just amazing, but the sound is kind of lackluster. I've run across a handful of those. You hit something special when you can combine it all to be sonically premium, fun to play with, visually engaging 
which is also fun because all of that combined makes it a creative piece of software that inspires someone to explore and experiment with it rather than it just being a tool it's a creative friend too so you look forward to hanging out together because you don't know what's going to come out of it and that's what makes creating exciting and the software exciting and useful usually we also want to create something that you can really use in a production so it's not just some crazy noise making thing yeah. although uh, most of our stuff can do that too we want people to feel like, oh, I can make things that I can use with this. Yeah. And, you know, like working with plugins that have an overcomplicated layout or like mm -hmm. an interface that doesn't feel intuitive and easy to understand, that can really, like really put the brakes on your creative flow. Yeah. You know, eventually I'll read the manual, but I want that instant gratification of just diving <laughs> right in and seeing what I can make this thing do. Yeah. And I, I think the, the average person is that's exactly what they want. They want to open it up and have it wow them pretty quickly. Like yeah. in general, I think humans are bored with like, oh, I've got to teach myself something now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes that's the most rewarding. I mean, those people that are willing to do those deep dives can, you know, usually make something quite special. But I think there is something to be said about just opening it up and being able to create without roadblocks to your creativity. Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot lately about roadblocks to creativity. So I'm building a new studio in downtown Bellingham where I live. And one of the things that I wanted to do and I recognized as I was building it is that I really wanted it to be a space that you walk into and you don't have a lot of distractions and you just work. You sit down and you can create. So. In the past, I used to put up all of my accomplishments. Uh, I had game plaques from working at EA for on Mass Effect and then did a mastering thing for the Strokes when I was younger, living in New York, and I had a signed picture from them. And all these things, it's not that they don't matter. I'm proud of those accomplishments for sure. But I just started to realize this is a distraction from what I'm doing now. I made it much more minimal and built this custom desk where I have all the wires really hidden. I've noticed that since I've done that, it makes me feel better. Like I come in and I'm just like, ah, it's so nice and minimal. And I just sit down and just go. And I think when you have your gear set up like that or your room set up like that, it makes the creative process easier. So you're not distracted, you're not blocked. So uh, what are some of the new developments at Soundmorph? Uh, what are you currently working on? What's coming up? So we are full steam ahead with libraries and software creation. Jan, my partner who codes all of our software, has become like amazingly good at coding now. We both feel that he has grown exponentially. I can't talk about our new software right now, but we are almost done with a pretty awesome new one that is not a sequel to our other plugins. So this one will be a whole new thing. Ooh. Yeah. It's exciting. And we actually finally came up with a name. That is one of the hardest things nowadays. It's like this obsession. And then we'll come up with a good one and, oh, guess what? It's taken. So yeah, that it gets harder and harder. I think as time goes on, there's more and more companies out there, you know, and especially with sound. So we're also skinning all of our software to look kind of the same color palette, knobs and sliders from release to release for the software moving forward. So there's going to be more of a cohesive collection look to Soundmorph uh, plugins going into the future. And this also allows Jan and I to just focus on what it's going to do rather than being super bogged down with constant changes to the look visually. 
Like each one of them will still have its own unique look and flavor, but a lot of the same visual controls and knobs. And we are slowly transitioning everything to plugins. So we won't have standalone software any longer like Galactic Assistant and Evil Twin loaded in Reactor. So we won't be doing any more Reactor stuff. And in other news, we are starting to record a lot of surround sound material. So I got a DPA 5100 mic that I'm running into a Sound Devices Mix Pre 10. And I've been traveling around a lot with that lately. We're branching out our libraries into a little more field recording, ambience, nature stuff. We'll be working on our element series over the next few years, probably, which revolves all around water, fire, earth, wind, and uh, maybe a few others. And we've got a couple top secret large sound libraries that are almost done that we'll probably release this year. Probably. Well, at least one of them will be this year. So that keeps the universe members happy, I think, because they can renew every year. So it's a pretty good deal for them. We like to keep all of our customers happy, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so as you're coming up with new software ideas and plugins, of course, AI and machine mm. learning, uh, they're offering huge potential advancements in the industry right now. So, you know, what do you think about AI and incorporating that into your software? Like, mm. what impact do you see AI having on the sound industry? And is it going to make sound designers obsolete? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about it. It's a very interesting time that we're entering into. I'd say at Soundmorph, we're definitely open to it, but I can't really discuss much about what we're doing in that realm, not yet. And really, it's still kind of in the early stages anyways. But we've already had one large reseller of Soundmorph products send out kind of a bogus legal letter pretty prematurely, you know, saying that if you want to stay with us, you must allow the possibility for us to train our AI systems with your sounds which I feel should be totally illegal. Yeah. And it, it might be soon, but it's not quite yet. So I think governments are scrambling to catch up to that. But that's why they send that out to be like, well, see here, we told you it's your fault that we stole your life's work. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I don't know why. That's so cringy. Yeah. I mean, well, we'll see how that all unfolds. But yeah. Artificial intelligence has the potential to significantly alter the landscape of sound design by automating some of the repetitive and time-consuming aspects of the process. Uh, the predictive and learning capabilities of AI could be used to develop algorithms that can replicate the techniques used by sound designers, such as creating sound effects, balancing audio levels, or uh, synchronizing audio with visual content. And this can save a lot of time and potentially enable a higher output without sacrificing quality. In addition, AI's pattern recognition could also be used to recommend or generate sound effects based on the type of media content, the mood it should evoke, or even the specific historical period it's set in, making you know the whole process pretty efficient and tailored. However, while AI may be able to automate certain aspects of sound design, it is unlikely to fully replace human sound designers in the near future. Sound design is not just about your technical skills and processes. So it also requires a deep understanding of the emotional and psychological impact of sound, which is inherently linked to human creativity and empathy and intuition. So while AI may be capable of generating and adjusting sounds based on learned patterns, 
it may struggle to match the nuanced understanding and creative innovation that a human sound designer brings to their work. And the future likely holds a collaborative environment where AI and human designers work together with AI handling more routine tasks, freeing up designers to focus on the more creative and complex aspects of their projects. And I really do agree with the last few paragraphs I've spoken. In fact, they are a response that I got from prompting ChatGPT version four, which I do subscribe to. I've become somewhat of a proficient AI whisperer, as they might <laughs> call it in the industry. And I'm learning how to get better at getting AI to give me what I want. But before we went into this interview, I was like, you know, I wonder what AI would say to these questions. <laughs> and it's, it's a pretty good answer. However, I do believe at some point AI will have the emotional intelligence and training to completely automate the sound of a film or game from start to finish, including a story script, voice replication and sound design. I hope I never live to see that day. I really hope that I'm dead by then. <laughs> and it, it, it brings us into another realm of existential crisis of sorts as humans. And as humans, we want to feel like we have a purpose. So I feel that whether we like this or not, we're going to face some pretty philosophical challenges as humans once more or less everything is replaced by AI. I'm optimistic about some things being great, kind of a utopia, so to speak, but also feel it could be the destruction of humanity on the flip side. So <laughs> yeah, I think I'm in the latter, latter group. I, yeah. <laughs> I kind of am, but I, I do also believe in our ability to adjust, to adapt. Um, I asked ChatGPT some more follow-up questions. It said the, the prospect of artificial intelligence, AI, replacing jobs, including those in creative fields like sound design, raises profound philosophical, psychological, and sociological questions. If we assume that AI will eventually take over all human jobs, it will fundamentally reshape human society and our concepts of work and purpose. Work provides more than just an income for many. It also offers a sense of identity, purpose, and belonging. If AI were to replace all jobs, society would need to find alternative ways to fulfill these needs. It goes on for quite a while. And then I, I asked it, let's pretend that it does happen in 20 years time, that sound designers are completely replaced by AI. At that point, I'll be 62 and would have spent 46 years of my life creating and recording sounds. What would you tell me about my life's work? Does it still have meaning in regards to sound and what I created? I will now need to figure out what job to do. Can you suggest what that might be in this hypothetical situation? So the AI's response was kind of interesting. It said, in a future where AI has taken over the role of sound designers, your life's work would still hold immense value and meaning. Oh, thank you. Thank you, AI. <laughs> thank you for um, validating my life's work. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's important to remember that, that it is human innovation, creativity, and effort, yours included, that forms the foundation of these advancements in AI. It, it reminds me of like, um, 50s or 60s like nuclear bomb commercials where it's <laughs> it's like and you can hide from the nuke uh just get under your desk duck and yeah. cover <laughs> your work over the years has contributed to the rich tapestry of sound design advancing the field and inspiring countless others 
Um, so then it, it it goes on to suggest some jobs that I could have. I was like, okay, good. I'm I'm getting nervous now. <laughs> AI consultant for sound design. I was like, okay, uh, as an expert in the field, you could advise on the development and refinement of sound design AI, ensuring it captures the full depth and breadth of human sound design techniques. So I'm like helping it get even stronger is one of the suggestions. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Sound design educator, which I thought was an interesting suggestion because it's like, who am I going to be educating if the AI is doing the sound design? Uh, the so. tiny robots, <laughs> of course. Teaching the principles of sound design, its history and its impact on media. This would be valuable in a variety of fields. Ethical AI advisor. Okay. So I could do that. The transition to a world where jobs like sound design are automated will undoubtedly be challenging, but it also opens up a realm of new opportunities. Your experience, knowledge, and skills would be a tremendous asset in these new roles. It, it is true that I think that there will be an emergence of some new jobs, but are they jobs that people are going to want to do? I, I don't know. And I, I asked it, what if I feel depressed that the creativity has been taken by a machine? Basically, it was like feelings of depression or distress in the face of such dramatic change are completely understandable. Oh, my God. <laughs> <And> <laughs> my personal views on it are that in the near future, there will be a lot of great, helpful things that will come from it. But I think eventually AI is going to really change the, the face of the planet in many ways, in scary ways, and, and maybe in good ways, maybe medically or building houses or all sorts of things. If you can think of it, it probably can be done. That's kind of the interesting thing about humans. And, and I mean, I'm a big sci-fi fan, so. Yeah, I've seen The Matrix. So someday we're going to end up in pods hooked up to hoses mm -hmm. and the machines will be <laughs> yeah. flying around harvesting us. So. Perfect. <laughs> It's going to be interesting times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of my favorite side things in life is philosophy. And this becomes a philosophical and spiritual endeavor. Uh, I, I don't mean spiritual like in the sense of religion. I mean it more in the sense of our own minds and where a new thought comes from. And being on the edge of creativity from nothingness comes into birth something. And where that comes from is the spiritual aspect of creation and being creative and being human. So I'd love to follow some of this up with passages from a really inspiring book um, that I'm reading right now called The Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin, the founder of Def Jam Records in the early 80s. So like Beastie Boys, Run DMC, Public Enemy. He's also had a long spanning career of being kind of a producer and I'm not sure if he claims to be Buddhist, but I think he is, but definitely kind of in that, that realm of philosophy. Um, I think that it was actually the perfect thing to kind of weave into this discussion about AI and humans and creativity and sound. Yeah. Anything that's going to make me feel better about all of this, I'm down <laughs> here. So fire away. Yeah. I think that's, you know, it's interesting because I am, I'm also noticing that I'm searching for something to make me feel better, which is interesting when you really examine that. Why do I need to feel better? Uh, what am I worried about? Yeah. Um, I'm worried about being replaced. I'm worried about feeling like, oh yeah, all of my life's work suddenly doesn't seem important. And that doesn't feel good. Yeah. You know, you want to feel like, hey, I dedicated my life to something that's really matters. And I think that I have to look at it as always doing something right now. And is that thing what I want to be doing? And if the answer is sound, then I do that in that moment. 
So it doesn't really matter what happens. <laughs> you know, I'll adjust now when that now comes. But for right now, I can still do what I love to do. So these are some passages from The Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin. The very first thing I'm gonna read is his opening. Um, Everyone is a creator. Those who do not engage in the traditional arts might be wary of calling themselves artists. They might perceive creativity as something extraordinary or beyond their capabilities, a calling for the special few who are born with these gifts. Fortunately, this is not the case. Creativity is not a rare ability. It is not difficult to access. Creativity is a fundamental aspect of being human. It's our birthright, and it's for all of us. Creativity doesn't exclusively relate to making art. We all engage in this act on a daily basis. To create is to bring something into existence that wasn't there before. It could be a conversation, the solution to a problem, a note to a friend, the rearrangement of furniture in a room, a new route home to avoid a traffic jam. What you make doesn't have to be witnessed, recorded, sold, or encased in glass for it to be a work of art. Through the ordinary state of being, we're already creators in the most profound way, creating our experience of reality and composing the world we perceive. In each moment, we are immersed in a field of undifferentiated matter from which our senses gather bits of information. The outside universe we perceive doesn't exist as such through a series of electrical and chemical reactions, our brains and neurons, uh, we generate a reality internally. We create forests and oceans, warmth and cold. We read words, hear voices, hear sound effects. Then in an instant, we produce a response. All of this in a world of our own creation in our mind. Regardless of whether or not we're formally making art, we are all living as artists. To live as an artist is a way of being in the world, a way of perceiving, a practice of paying attention, refining our sensitivity to tune into the more subtle notes, looking for what draws us in and what pushes us away, noticing what feeling tones arise and where they lead us. A tuned choice by a tuned choice your entire life is a form of self-expression. You exist as a creative being in a creative universe. So that's his first chapter. I think it's interesting, and he goes on to kind of talk about what makes certain artists maybe more in tune to those messages in their mind than others. So the next part is tuning in. Think of the universe as an internal creative unfolding. Trees blossom, cells replicate, rivers forge new tributaries. The world pulses with productive energy, and everything that exists on this planet is driven by that energy. Every manifestation of this unfolding is doing its own work on behalf of the universe, each in its own way, true to its own creative impulse. Just as trees grow flowers and fruit, humanity creates works of art. The Golden Gate Bridge, the White Album, the Space Shuttle, iPad, Philadelphia Cheesesteak. Look around you, there are so many remarkable accomplishments to appreciate. Each of these is humanity being true to itself as a hummingbird is true to itself by building a nest, a peach tree by bearing fruit, and a nimbus cloud by producing rain. Every nest, every peach, every raindrop, and every great work is different. Some trees may appear to make more beautiful fruits than others, and some humans may appear to compose greater works than others. 
The taste and beauty are in the eye of the beholder. How does the cloud know when to rain? How does the tree know when the spring begins? How does the bird know when it's time to build a new nest? These rhythms are not set by us. We are all participating in a larger creative act. We are not conducting. We are being conducted. The artist is on a cosmic timetable, just like all of nature, on the edge of creation. If you have an idea you're excited about and you don't bring it to life, it's not uncommon for the idea to find its voice through another maker. This isn't because the other artist stole your idea, but because the idea's time has come. In this great unfolding, ideas and thoughts, themes and songs, and other works of art exist in the ether and ripen on schedule, ready to find expression in the physical world. So some of that obviously gets more on the spiritual side of things. I don't disagree with it, but I think some people might be like, oh yeah, it's getting a little like uh, woo-woo or... Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know what I mean. But I think he has some interesting points and often art arrives in movements and yeah. uh, people kind of jump on these waves. And he goes on to say that we're all antennae for a creative thought. Some transmissions come on strong and others are more faint. And if your antenna isn't sensitively tuned, you're likely to lose the data in the noise, particularly since the signals coming through are often more subtle than the content we collect through sensory awareness. They are energetic more than tactile. One of the reasons I like this book, especially since AI is emerging, is that he does a great job of encapsulating what it means to be human and how to be and how to observe and how to be aware, how to tune into your creativity. So the next one is called awareness. In most of our daily activities, we choose the agenda and develop a strategy to achieve the goal at hand. We create the program. Awareness moves differently. The program is happening around us. The world is the doer and we are the witness. We have little or no control over the content. The gift of awareness allows us to notice what's going on around and inside ourselves in the present moment and to do so without attachment or involvement. We may observe bodily sensations, passing thoughts and feelings, sounds or visual cues, smells and tastes. Through detached noticing, awareness allows an observed flower to reveal more of itself without our intervention. Awareness is not a state you force. There is little effort involved, though persistence is key. It's something you actively allow to happen. It is a presence with an acceptance of what is happening in the eternal now. So that's great stuff about thinking about where your creativity comes from and, and, and really paying attention to what's happening in your mind. You know, I do a lot of meditation stuff and subscribe to this app called Waking Up, which I'm always trying to push on everyone I know. But it's all about the mind, basically, and paying attention to it and, and lots of discussion about philosophy and things like that. So this next one I marked because I felt like well, it's just an interesting way to compare ourselves to computers. The vessel and the filter. Each of us has a container within. It is constantly being filled with data. It holds the sum total of our thoughts, feelings, dreams, and experiences in the world. Let's call this the vessel. Information does not enter the vessel directly like rain filling into a barrel. It is filtered in a unique way for each of us. I think that's a great point because it reminded me of watching Mr. Rogers when I was a kid. And he was like, you're all unique, you know, you're special and no one's like you. And I think that's the difference between being you and being a computer. 
is that currently the computer can't be you. It can't have all of your experiences and your past from birth to now. Everything that you've experienced perhaps generates what comes next. I would believe that's somewhat true. And I also think there's a mystery to what generates next, but moving on. Not everything makes it through this filter and what does get through doesn't always do so faithfully. We each have our own method of reducing source. Our memory space is limited. Our senses often misperceive data and our minds don't have the processing power to take it all in, all the information surrounding us. Our senses would be overwhelmed by light, color, sound, and smell. We would not be able to distinguish one object from another. To navigate our way through this immense world of data, we learn early in life to focus on information that appears essential or of particular interest, and to tune out the rest. As artists, we seek to restore our childlike perception, a more innocent state of wonder and appreciation not tethered to the utility of survival. So AI can process superhuman-like, right? And I think sometimes what makes us unique and different is I process something differently than you do. I filter differently than you do. And my creative mind comes up with something differently than you do. Even though we're really made of all the same stuff, kind of. Like we have all the same body parts, neurons and atoms and whatnot. If you break all of those things down into a pile of mush, I'm not really Jason anymore. But for some reason, when you combine them all, I am what you call Jason. It's like a car is not a car once you take it all apart. It's just a bunch of parts. Okay, so this is the last thing I'm going to read from him. The unseen. By conventional definition, the purpose of art is to create physical and digital artifacts, to fill shelves with pottery, books, and records. Though artists generally aren't aware of it, that end work is a byproduct of a greater desire. We aren't creating to produce or sell material products. The act of creation is an attempt to enter a mysterious realm a longing to transcend. What we create allows us to share glimpses of an inner landscape, one that is beyond our understanding. Art is our portal to the unseen world. Without the spiritual component, the artist works with a crucial disadvantage. The spiritual world provides a sense of wonder and a degree of open-mindedness not always found within the confines of science. The world of reason can be narrow and filled with dead ends, while a spiritual viewpoint is limitless and invites fantastic possibilities. The unseen world is boundless. So I think he's talking a lot about the mind. The mind is kind of like its own universe in a sense. So I just think all that stuff's really cool. Well, going back to AI, like you could teach it all of these analytical things, but can you really open it up into the space uh, where creativity and the motivation to create come from? Like, how do you teach AI to do that? It might teach itself, but oh. I, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Another part of one of his openings is uh, we begin with everything, everything seen, everything done, everything thought, everything felt imagined, forgotten, and everything that rests unspoken and unthought within us. I mean, I just think that's deep stuff. And like the AI is trying to be everything. And as humans, we're not that. There's an openness to our minds that we can tap into, I think, and unlimited creativity. But we don't have the capacity to be everything all at once. 
one of the cool things about AI is you can give it ideas. You're the one that's helping it. You're guiding it. So you can refine, refine, refine. And it's still you. It's just doing superhuman things to get you to where you want to be. I think there are some great advantages of using it for creativity, but it's just going to be an interesting unfolding of how that goes, you know. For sound stuff, like AI might be able to get rid of stuff that like nobody really wants to do. I mean, in 20 years, I I mean, who knows? I, I'm hoping that Soundmorph might still be making stuff. I'll be in my 60s. I don't know what I'll feel like doing when I'm in 60. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would like to, to have the ability to keep doing what I do and not have it be just wiped out. But it's possible. I'm sure there will be some workflow improvements for sure for sound and Probably none of us will get replaced anytime real soon, so everyone can keep keep working. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about this now as something that'll happen in like 20 years, but maybe not. Maybe it's more like five or two. I mean, my partner and I discuss this stuff sometimes because it's what what we do for a living. So, um, you know, I'm not like keen to like see see everyone be replaced or anything like that. Um, there could be some really amazing ways to live life. I mean, it could be totally different and it probably will be from what, how we live our lives now. We want to be creative people no matter what happens. So, you know, for instance, AI could write a book or can make these crazy, insane looking pictures and paintings and stuff, which are very interesting to look. At. I mean, it's like seeing stuff never seen before, kind of like, wow, what the hell is that? You know? But just because it can do that stuff doesn't take away the fact that we are humans that also want to create. And just because it can make a, a picture doesn't mean you should stop being a painter. You still have that connection with your mind to create that thing. And nothing can really take that away unless you tell yourself the story that, oh, it doesn't matter. The machine can do it better than me. I mean, as soon as you do that, then I guess you've given it the power. And if it's all just about making money, then perhaps you're screwed. The, the bigger companies are already saying like, hey, you have to let us train our AI on your sounds. It's like there, there's already people out there thinking about how they can capitalize on this. So one thing that scares me, I think, is greed. I don't really love the idea of something like sound being like, monopolized by big corporations, you know? Right. Well, there could be a movement where people choose organic, like people choose organic foods. So maybe people will choose organic entertainment, meaning created by an organic life form and not an artificial one. Yes. Yes, exactly. I think there's very interesting stuff to explore with how will AI generate feelings and emotions in humans, because I think it definitely already is. But I also do think that people want to consume things made by other people. Totally. You know, so, so there's that question of like, why do we create? And I think that if you're a creative person, there's nothing that's going to stop you from creating. People will always want to create. Uh, that, won't, that won't stop, I don't think. Um, it's just, it, it's some, something within us. I mean, answering the question of why do you want to create, for me, the answer is because I'm human. I don't have any other answer. I mean, sometimes I wonder why do I, I mean, I've made so many sounds, you know, and like I keep doing it. And, and there are times where it's like, why am I doing this? 
um, you know, this starts becoming very existential or like philosophical in, in a way. And, and I think my answer for myself would be maybe two answers. It's because it's what I do and because I'm human. That's why I'd, I can't answer it any other way. That's my answer for now. It might change. So, so speaking of creating stuff, right, uh, at Soundmorph, you're creating these making of videos to show how a library was made or what you can do with the software. I think that's really awesome. Uh, is this something that you're going to keep on doing? You know, we've been filming a lot of behind the scenes footage in a much more professional manner lately. So that will be very exciting to show to our audience more of and kind of like our water behind the scenes stuff. So a bit longer format videos and with footage shot with more pro cameras, like we have a, a Canon R5C cinema camera and a bunch of different lenses invested in some great uh, AVX Sennheiser lav mics for that and for interviews. And uh, I moved my studio into a new building. So I've been building that out with the intention of doing more short videos about sound design, our products, and just sound in general. So yeah, pushing myself to do something kind of new with that. Um, so I'm excited to share that with everybody and be a little more on the stage, so to speak. Um, it will be kind of a mix of teaching, sharing, and about our products and how to use them or how we made them. That sounds like a lot of work. Uh, what are some of your challenges in making these videos? Some of the challenges are that uh, I've found that uh, I, I need kind of a small crew for certain shoots um, because there's a lot of gear involved. Um, and I haven't been a filmmaker in the past, really, I, although I, I've always loved photography and, and done that for quite a while. But film is a whole nother beast. So it, it just becomes very hard to carry all the gear by yourself and record and shoot and talk. And, you know, it's kind of impossible at a certain point. <laughs> and I, I've been shooting on my own also while recording. So I'd, I'd love to talk about the library I'm, I'm recording on my own for Soundmorph, but I can't yet. Um, but let's say uh, there, there are some safety concerns. So I'm um, being around people that are not safe. Um, and I, I wear an orange safety vest. And I also carry self-defense with me. So there's that. Um, and and I, I recently bought a teleprompter. Um, so sort of teleprompter versus wild speech. I, like I like just being me and having thoughts and dialogue just fly out. But so like being sometimes just uh, not so stumbly and, and be a little more professional and honed in on exactly what I want to say. And, and certain videos kind of need that. And other ones, you can be kind of more freeform. Uh, so lighting is another thing, like learning a lot about lighting. Um, so bought some, some nice lights and stuff like that. Um, and lenses and camera settings and background of my studio. So setting it up to look nice and um, coming up with content to shoot, which I... Surprisingly, I have a long list of longer than I expected to have of things that I would like to shoot. Now it's just finding the time to, to do all of that. Um, a few years ago, I did another podcast with Akash Thakar. I apologize, Akash, if that's not how you say your name, but I think it is. His podcast is called The Sound Business Podcast. And I'm, I'm on episode nine, I think, of that. Um, and it's called Creating Sound Libraries, Pivoting Careers, and Building Teams with Jason Cushing of Soundmorph. And I really enjoyed doing that one, so go have a listen uh, if you like listening to me blab about sound forever. 
and other philosophies. Um, anyhow, in that one, I believe I said like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not a film producer. I'm not going to go around filming a bunch of stuff of me or something to that effect. When he asked me how I keep my audience engaged with new content, that was one of the things that I said. And well, that's what's nice about life. You can always change your mind and do something you never thought you could. And, and really that is what I think keeps life interesting anyway. That's about all about the, the filming stuff, but I'm excited to share it. And it just, it's just a matter of time, you know, editing films and then also doing the sound design on top of them is time consuming. So. I have to kind of choose, <laughs> but I think that it's a way for us to connect a little bit more with our audience, show them more of who we are and what we do. Uh, it's something new for me. Like I've been doing just sound design and, and, and the sound realm for quite a long time. And so this is kind of a way to challenge myself and also have it be related to Sound Morph. And um, I'm hoping that people will enjoy watching it and, and we'll see if nobody watches them. I. <laughs> I probably won't keep making them, but but I think they I think they will. Is there a video that you would want people to check out? So if this was someone's first experience with the making of videos, um, you know, it, it, what's a good one for them to start with? Water is a great one to look at if you haven't looked at any of our behind the scenes stuff. Enjoyed making that one, and yeah, it was a fun one to make, and the, the team was great that's been working with us. So. I'm excited to show the next the next one. Being a filmmaker, like not that I don't think I'm a filmmaker, but I guess I am if I made a made a film. Yeah, but I'm a, now you are. Right. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm recognizing very quickly how maddening it can be, like obsessive. Because the 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 more I get better at it, the more my old stuff looks like shit. But I'm already like in it, you know. So then you get trapped in this thing, like I gotta redo that one part or blah 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 to make it better. And that, that is not the point. So I am going to leave things in that weren't maybe totally perfect because the point is to just show the process and, um, and show it, you know, I think people are understanding that, that we are not a pro film crew, right? but I want it to be good, you know? So that's what starts to become maddening a little bit. Cause as you get better, you're, you notice the, the crap. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's certain things I just can't reshoot. I don't have the time or I, I can't travel to those places again. So it is what it is, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And also, I mean, your audience is sound people. So video. Eh. Yeah, I know. And I mean, I think that was one of my hesitations was like, nobody's going to care about this. They just want the sounds. And I don't think that's totally true. I think that people do want to see what went into making something and what makes it valuable. Why do they need to care? So there is an aspect of connecting with the product, but also connecting with us and the process and what we do to make professional stuff. There aren't a lot of things like that for sound companies out there. There's a lot of flashy trailers, right? And I think some of them are really good, like Boom's new Canon library looks awesome. And then the trailer for it looks really well done, you know, and, and maybe that's not the library that they would want to do a long format behind the scenes. It's more like exciting. Look at this. Boom, boom, boom. You know, cannons blasting off. And I think that does have a great effect on making some customer go, I need that now. So it's different. Like I'm taking a chance that making these longer format things aren't necessarily commercially the thing that should be done, but it's what I want to do. And I think there's an unseeable value to it as well. The value of how I spend my life, the value of showing people the dedication 
Soundmorph has to making good stuff and what we go through to do that. Um, so how do you put a price tag on that? How do you know, did this generate such and such sales? To me, it doesn't matter. I just doing what, what feels right. So for me right now in my life, I have the energy. I'm not super old. I can do this at some point. I'm guaranteed not to be able to. So I might as well follow it and do it as it comes into my mind. Yes, absolutely. And do it before the AI does it for you. <laughs> before they kidding. generate me and look at him out there recording sounds. It's not really him, but it sounds like him. It looks like him. Well, Jason, this has been a <laughs> wild ride. Uh, thank you so much for this enlightening yeah. chat. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a handpicked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. That's it for this episode. Thanks a lot for listening and take care. Mm-hmm.